Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. podcast where Gabe and I go into the 80s and we learn stuff about pop culture. The year, 1982. Einheiser-Busch launched Bud Light Beer. Michael Jackson released Thriller featuring songs like Billie Jean, Beat It, Human Nature, and obviously Thriller. Over the years, it would go on to sell 110 million copies. Favorite holiday gifts were BMX bikes, the Arcadia 2001 game console, Smurfs, the Atari 5200 Super System, Trivial Pursuit, and Strawberry Shortcake. Uh, The eternal battle that we still see today between the Arcadia and Atari systems. So let me tell you, in the early 2000s, my life with drinking was Bud Light all day long. I did not realize Bud Light was from 1982. But then again, I never thought about where Bud Light came from. I'll say that much. (laughs) I just assumed it always existed. Like I assumed when the monks were busy making beer, they also just made Bud Light so that they would have something to stay hydrated. Because it is like water. I mean, let's be honest. Basically, yeah. At least the Marine Corps treats it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, you know, as a, as a, again, as a, as a kid, uh, none of these things mattered to me. We didn't do board games at home. Um, I, the Smurfs, yes, and reruns. And I was a Nintendo kid, so uh, the Thriller music video definitely was uh, an awesome video. And I think everybody knew G, uh, Billie Jean and beat it in the 90s. So, uh, like, none of this missed me. Let's talk about people who were born in 1982, Gabe. Here's a good one. Seth Rogen, born in 1982. Actor, comedian. I uh, first saw Seth Rogen, I think, in Freaks and Geeks. And then in, I think, Knocked Up was, his, was the one where I was like, this dude is... One of the funniest freaking people with the most obnoxious laugh ever. Fair, fair assessment all around. Yeah, that was uh, that was me and um, and Seth Rogen. But yeah, so John Mulaney, very funny man with a very distinct voice. His stand-up is great. Uh, you know, big mouth, fantastic. But um, yep, uh, he was a writer for SNL. I thought that was very cool. I feel like writing for SNL. Is uh is quite the task. I think it's one of those things where like you really have to be able to hold your own. Yeah, it seems like it really hones the uh, skills of people. You see later a lot of credit for comedians later on that were writers on SNL. Yeah, because I don't think he was ever a cast member, right? I think he was just a writer. I don't. I'm not sure, but I don't remember. Although I wasn't, you know, necessarily the most. Uh, paying the most attention to to who the performers were on SNL as much as I was laughing at things they did. Yeah. While drinking Bud Light. I mean, Gabe, it's the, the, what, what is it? A Miller Light is a champagne of beers, right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, or is it Mir- Miller so. High Life, is it? That's a champagne of beers? I think it's High Life. Yeah. So Bud Light must be the, the prince of, of Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> Because <laughs> the king is Budweiser, obviously, right? So who who does the who gets to be prince? I think. 
Well, they have the the Bud Light Night, right? Dilly Dilly. You not are you not familiar? I don't think so. They had a whole ad campaign where they have the, the Bud Light Night. This guy's like in armor, and everything that's all Bud Lighted out. Oh, I must have missed. It's a pretty this. recent one. Oh yeah, no, I haven't seen commercials in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to streaming and thanks to the internet, I don't have to watch commercials anymore, Gabe. <laughs> Man, I feel like thanks to the internet, I see more commercials. Yeah, but they're targeted as opposed to general population commercials, you know? Because <laughs> general population commercials are like whatever somebody's trying to advertise. YouTube. Whoever's got the biggest biggest bank account sometimes. Yes. YouTube is like, no, we overheard you said this. <laughs> we think this is good for you. For sure, it was a Super Bowl commercial, though. And I watched those after the fact religiously. Oh, okay. okay. Um, another fine, fine actor. Uh, born in 1982, Alan Richardson. We talked about him um, from Reacher. Fantastic. Um, that role was made for that man. I obviously know him from uh, Blue Mountain State and like uh, uh, the Titans work that he did. Such a really nice person to listen to in an interview. He seems like a legitimately nice person. And again, it could be could be all a lie, but I really like uh, who he is, even though I don't know him. Uh, last person born, well, last person for this episode born in 1982, Gina Carano. Are you familiar with the actress and mixed martial artist? I am. When I was at my peak watching of um, MMA, she was starting and she became quite the sensation being one of the toughest uh, female mar- mixed martial artists until Holly... Something came in and beat her ass, and <laughs> I mean, how it ends. beat her into retirement. It's not. I'm not even trying to be funny. She dominated her, and it was interesting to watch because she had been dominating everybody else. That this girl came in just stronger than anything I've ever seen, and and I was like, wow. She honestly, like Gina Crown did not recover from that. She she recovered physically. Then she started doing acting, and she never went back to MMA. I think she ended up doing WWE stuff eventually. Yeah. Didn't uh, Ronda Rousey have a similar arc? Except Ronda Rousey left because she wanted to. Didn't she get beat real bad? Yes, she did, but she but but she came back from that beating. Okay. Um, and, and I think there was a difference, too. Like, uh, Gina Carano was a brawler. She used to box quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, they had different styles. Yeah, and sure. then Ronda Rousey was all about the armbar and being able to submit people. So when she but, when she met a boxer, she got, but she she kept it going, and then she's like, "No, nah, I'm out." Uh, well, similarly though, she dominated for like oh no, Rousey no. dominated yeah, as yeah. well, and then you were just like, "Well, nobody can beat her," and, and you know until somebody can. Until That's somebody the problem can. in yeah. MMA in your MMA career if you play if you're in long enough. Yeah, except for GSP, buddy. Ooh, GSP left. The, he stayed at the top, and he left at the top. <laughs> Impressive. Um, but no, I, I used to really like watching MMA, and I, I used to I used to look forward to her fights. She was very charismatic. So yeah, born in '82. Uh, Let's uh, talk about deaths. He, this is a good one. I mean, it's a good one. It's not a good one, obviously. Um, John Belushi, um, comedian, actor, the original cast member of uh, Saturday Night Live, like we just talked about. You know, hard drugs and cocaine, the 70s, 80s. I mean, the man was, could have been so, could have been like the next biggest thing. 
You know, I still watch Blues Brothers. I think he's he was just so charismatic. I still watch some of his SNL skits. Like, he was hilarious. And uh yeah, no, uh, you know, very sad. Very sad to see that uh, he he could have he but then like like you say he could have, right? But what would have been you never know. You never know. But yeah. John Belushi, how familiar are you with him? Uh, I haven't seen Blues Brothers in its entirety, but uh, I'm familiar uh, with uh, the name, and I'm sure I've seen some of the SNL skits along with what I've seen of Blues Brothers. Okay. So So not as familiar as what you're saying. Not as familiar, but, I mean, again, uh, I I am familiar with the name, and like you said, like... uh, Think of the 70s and 80s put a lot of hard miles in a lot of people's bodies. They did. <laughs> they did. Um, next person up that passed in 1982, a great actor named Henry Fonda. I'm going to imagine you're familiar with him just because he was a little timey, a little new timey, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't tell you what I've seen him in, but I'm sure I've seen him in, in something. He was in, I remember, and the reason why I say that is because I know he was in Battle of the Bulge. The movie, not the battle. And I've seen him there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not the not the actual historical encounter. No, not the actual historical oh, okay. encounter. But yes, um, I am very familiar with him because of a movie called um, "How the West Was Won." Oh no, I'm sorry. Once upon a time in the West. Um, just phenomenal, phenomenal film. With uh, he plays the bad guy, and Charles Bronson plays the antihero. Um, but there's a great scene that he that Henry Fonda has in that movie where he he says one of the best lines that even to this day I steal from him. Um, there's a guy that's wearing suspenders and a belt, and he shoots the belt he shoots the belt buckle off him and he says, Never trust a man that wears suspenders and a belt. Man, what a shot. How do you shoot the belt buckle off? You don't, Gabe. You you murder a man yeah, when you shoot the belt buckle like, off. Like, painfully and slowly. But, yeah. There's a lot of those when you see in old movies. Like, I've always, like, like they shoot the gun out of people's hands. And you're like, man, if you hit the gun in their hand, like, that hand is, like, mangled. Yes. There's yes, no, you know, none of this, like, casual dropping of the gun in a look of surprise. Yeah, no, the only other movie that I can think of that he was really, really good in was 12 Angry Men. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have seen that. He was the juror that was holding out. He was He was one He was one angry man. He was. Yeah, it's Henry Fonda. Yeah, there we go. See? I told you I couldn't tell you what, but I knew I'd seen him. <laughs> this next one is for me. Jazz pianist and composer, Monk, Stelonius Monk. He is, I, I mean... So I listen to I listen to quite a bit of, quite a bit of of jazz, but I am not I am not a what's the best where what's what's best way to say that I am not a person that knows jazz. I listen to jazz and I like jazz, but I could not be I couldn't tell you history of jazz. I couldn't tell you why jazz does this or why jazz does that. I and I and I'm also like one of those almost like. You know, I listen to the good ones. I don't I don't go deep into jazz. Like I have like five jazz musicians that I listen to consistently. And they're the ones that probably everybody listens to, you know? Uh, you know, your Miles Davis. It's kind of blue is one of the greatest albums of all time. Um, Cannonball uh, Artily. 
again, uh, Autumn Leaves, one of the greatest, uh, well, something else. Autumn Leaves is one of the greatest jazz songs of all time. Thelonious Monk. What's the name of it? And then even like this, I'm like, what's the name of that one guy? Um, oh, you know, John Coltrane and uh, Dave Brubeck. You know, like, I think everybody, like, if I say John Coltrane, you're like, I don't know jazz, but I know John Coltrane. I'm that guy who, when I listen to jazz, I listen to this, you know, a supreme love. Like, that's my jazz. But I love that jazz. That's just what it is. So, yeah. So, it's one of those things. Like, if you ask me what made uh, Monk different than Miles Davis or, or, or everybody else, it's almost like Thelonious Monk's jazz sounds like what you think jazz sounds like. But when you listen to, like, Cannonball or when you listen to Miles Davis... That's what jazz should sound like, <laughs> you know. Like it's it's. I don't know. I, I I am the again the worst person to explain jazz. I'm just a fan, and I think he's one of my top five jazz musicians that I appreciate and I go back to consistently. Uh, but he passed no, away. I think eighty two. I think for sure. Like, uh, uh, it's good to be able to appreciate stuff even if you don't have all the all the back. Uh, story and and you know information and all that that's good yeah but yeah if, if for any jazz uh, individual or any individuals that want to break it in break through into jazz honestly you can't go wrong with something else by cannonball you can't go wrong with a kind of blue by miles davis and Su uh, supreme love by john coltrane i think that is what and again i am just uh what do they call it um uh a fair weather fan in that sense where like that's just you know now what will happen though is you will go into their discography you know like i have after having listened to one album i went through the miles davis discography my god the man has a discography and i found like you know scenes from spain i think that's a wonderful album bitches brew wonderful album so you will find it and then you, you get to find out like that they had collaborations and sometimes some songs you've been listening to had the people you already like. So anyway, jazz is fun. That's what I'm saying. All right, let's go into movies, Gabe. Big movie comes out in 1982. Blade Runner. Have you seen it? I sure have. The whole thing. <laughs> yes. The, the director's cut. Oh, whatever. Jesus. Okay. Crazy edition. Yes. All right. So, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, same gentleman who brought us Alien, uh, Gladiator, and Black Hawk Down, um, starring Harrison Ford and uh, Rutger, Rutger Hauer, uh, and Edward James Olmos, can't forget him, um, based on a, on a novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And the film, for those of you who haven't seen it, is set in a future Los Angeles uh, actually, 2019. <laughs> oh man, it's yeah, been a past Los Angeles. We just <laughs> missed it. We just missed it. Um, did not do well in the box office, surprisingly, because now that we watch it with you know like decades behind, it's a you know phenomenal movie. But at the time, people thought it was weird and just you know. To be fair, it is weird. It still uh, it still has some very like classic timeless shots and the themes and all that kind of stuff. There are some supremely weird moments in it. Well, I think Edward James almost is the most supreme weird moment. Like an Android. He's, he's like an Android, right? Or he's a different race, right? 
and he's, uh, he speaks like a hundred languages or something. And almost, yeah. or he almost speaks in a made-up language that's a bunch of other languages put together. Yeah, you know. But you can see the influence of Blade Runner on so many movies in the future. Like, I automatically I think of like the Fifth Element, and I'm like, that was uh, yeah. that was a, a clean version of Blade Runner. Any cyberpunk shit you see, that is Blade Runner influence, you know? Yep. I thought this movie was fun. I thought it was fine. But I've, it's never been like a, on, a, on my list of like, you know, greatest movies or anything. Um, no, I think I think it's one of those ones that like you appreciate film. Like it's a movie to watch yes. to appreciate the history of film. And it's like a it's a, you know, it's a landmark in film history. And for that reason, to be praised but also like again there's some very weird some very weird things about that movie yes there's a reason it wasn't a box office success either yeah it made the it made 36 million uh, on a 28 million dollar budget scraping by uh, yeah. harrison ford got paid i mean and ridley scott ended up making movies after so it's not like he lost out did not kill a career thankfully um speaking of people with amazing careers et the Extraterrestrial comes out in 1982, yep. produced in... What did he go on to do after he starred in that movie? Harrison Ford? No, no, E.T. <laughs> I think he said e- successful careers. I think E.T. E- too. He just went home. <laughs> he just went home. It was, it, we followed E.T. on a daily schedule. It was very much like Boba Fett. It, <laughs> 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 he went home, said hello to his wife and his family. Uh, I think the next day he... Went to the office and met with everybody. Told them about what happened on Earth. Get chewed out for not showing up at work. You know, you know, uh, broke down. A lot of paperwork. It's surprisingly, <laughs> a lot of paperwork he had to fill out and get approved. Um, and I think he had like Fair. four bosses, so he had to like Ooh. make duplicates. The worst. And, and like, if he made a mistake, like four people came to talk to him. It was, it was, it was a rough life for ET after he went home. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's why he was trying to call. He was trying to call out. <laughs> He was like, Jesus Christ, if I don't tell him, I'm going to hear it. Uh, yeah, he's like, you know, you know, I have four bosses. <laughs> Look, I'll just leave a voicemail. <laughs> um, uh, produced and directed by Steven Spielberg. Gabe, this movie has got quite the list of accolades, right? It opened number one at the U.S. box office with a gross of $11 million. And stayed at the top of the box office for six weeks. It then fluctuated between the first and second positions until October. <laughs> before returning to the top spot for the final time in December during uh, the brief holiday season. In its second week it, weekend, it recorded the highest grossing second weekend of all time. Surpassing the record of $10 million set by Superman 2. In its fourth weekend, it recorded the highest-grossing weekend of all time, surpassing the record of 16 million set earlier that year by uh, Rocky III. It had a record eight weeks with a gross of over 10 million, a feat not matched until Home Alone in 1990. Now here's the here's the here's the million-dollar question, Gabe. What do you think the budget for ET was? Oh man. Um... I mean, how many how many puppets and action figures did they have to scrap to get ET? How can we? How many could it possibly be? Like, uh, I'm pretty sure three. One for the close-ups, one for the long shots, one for the stunts. <laughs> Thirty million? 
Boy, Gabe, you I can't are. Remember. I can't remember. This is at the beginning of of uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I know it's career. the beginning. I'm trying to think if there's any actor in there that had to get paid. I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, Drew Barrymore. <laughs> yeah, a, but at the time, four year old or five year old. <laughs> Launched that career. All right, ten million. The budget for ET. Okay. What do you think it went on to make after just reading how well it did? How well those weekends did? Like I, I don't even think I can, I can guess if it stayed in those top spots. Like I, I mean, did it make? I mean, it had to clear a hundred. Did it make like a hundred and fifty million? Like how, how high did we go? Think Avengers. Well, I mean, those do like three hundred, don't they? No, that's the that's that's the marble bar bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of, oh, Avengers did way better. That oh man, what did it end up? What was the end result? Seven hundred and ninety-seven million. How uh, how long did that take it? I be- know. I believe it was the year nineteen eighty-two. God, that's insane, isn't it? On a ten million dollar budget, dude. Yeah, on on like that's a that's a that's a great ROI. I believe I believe they say. But you know what though. ROI numbers wise, but really it is what's going to give us Steven Spielberg for the next 40 years. (laughs) Yeah. Just give him a license to do whatever the hell he wants. Basically. Right. I mean, please make a movie. Please make a movie. We don't want to hear what it is. Just make it. Here's $10 million. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're going rates 10 million, right? Counting. (laughs) Start counting. (laughs) That's insane. Imagine do your Steven Spielberg and that's your year. Because, I mean, what was the other Steven Spielberg movie that happened, like, the year before, right? No, no. Wait, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? We we talked about. Was it 1981? Uh, Yeah, it had to be, right? Yeah, but remember, these two movies are being made consecutively, so... Yeah. It's not like he has that already under his belt. That that one did pretty good, too. Yeah, it did all right. (laughs) I mean, comparatively, okay. Uh, Double the budget. Had double the budget. I will say this, though. I've seen E.T. probably three times in its entirety. It's it's an okay film. Like, I'm not... It's been a long time. I don't know if I've... I haven't watched it in my adult life. It's been... I was I was young. So I don't even... I that's, That probably deserves a rewatch for me at some point just to appreciate. I was one of those films I don't agree. I don't think I'm ever going to rewatch it, to be honest with you. But I think I just want to I just want to remember how uh, how many uh, how many uh, action figures got cannibalized. Probably quite a few. Moving on to the next film. Have you seen Fast Times at Richmond High? I haven't. And I have been told to by my dad for years. Wow. Gabe. It's a coming of age comedy drama. I'm still waiting to come of age. So no, I got time. I think guys come of age in their late 20s, early 30s, while women do it, you know, 10 years before. Classic. Um, Directed by Amy Heckerling in her feature directorial debut from a screenplay by Cameron Crowe based on his 1981 book, Fast Times at Richmond High, A True Story, where Crow went undercover at a Claremont at Claremont High School in San Diego and wrote about his experiences. It's a very cool, fun movie, oh, Dazed and Confused style. You know, it's it's that. It's it's a it's a fun fun movie. Sean Penn's awesome in it. Judge Reinhold, like a bunch of 
Phoebe Cates, bunch of actors in it. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Uh, low budget, four million, went on to make twenty seven. Uh, but if 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 people have not seen it, uh, it's it's a movie that you should watch. Highly recommend it. It's a fun fun film. Um, moving on to yet another Steven Spielberg uh, uh, related film, Poltergeist. Uh, have you seen Poltergeist? No. So Poltergeist was a, it's a horror film, and it is about a family who moves into a, a house that then starts to get a little spooky, and they bring an ex uh, person, uh, not an exorcist, <laughs> they bring a specialist in and they find out that the house is haunted because it was built over a, a Native American graveyard. And there's that fam- do it. There's that famous line where they're all like, "You remove the tombstones, but you never move the bodies. You just built the house over them." So it's very cool. But it shouldn't have done that. It's an iconic scene of this little girl, like in the white static of the TV, and she can hear the voices, and they take her in, and they gotta bring somebody to get her out. Um, here's a funny. Here's a fun fact. Uh, directed by Toby Tobe Hopper. But it was written by Steven Spielberg uh, from based on, on a short story. This was originally going to be a follow-up to Steven Spielberg's um, uh, the Encounters of the, of the Third Kind. Is that, was, that, was that what it was called? Close, Close Encounters? Encounters? Close Encounters. He had originally had a story for the sequel to that. But because he was contractually uh, obligated to direct E.T., he couldn't direct Poltergeist. So it went on to somebody else who was like, no, I want to do horror. I don't want to do this uh, sci-fi, you know, follow-up. And that's how it ended up being basically that. Darn it, E.T. <laughs> basically, yeah. Nominated for three Oscars. Nothing to do with what you think. Original score, sound effects, visual effects. $10 million budget. Went on to make $127 million. It's a fun the movie. Academy. The Academy was like, we don't like this movie, but it's impressive. But it sounds impressive. <laughs> Nobody in here performed well. But boy, was the music was the music sound and visual effects good. Boy, oh boy. Um, <laughs> they ended up making like five of these, I believe. I think in the last one, it's a it's a it's a building. So I'm like, oh, it's a skyscrapers. You're like, oh, I don't know how this connects to the first one. I don't knowing nothing about it. I can only hope that the theme is they've built over a different type of burial ground every time, and this every time they're like, "Ah, you built over." No, you removed <laughs> the headstones, but you never moved the fucking bodies. I, I I hope that at the core of it, the real villain is zoning laws and like the fact that they didn't, you know, properly, oh, comply. That's very funny, actually. <laughs> Our last movie. Our last movie is, have you ever seen The Thing? No. Have you heard of The Thing? I've heard of A Thing. Thing 1 and Thing 2? I mean, there's lots of things. <laughs> this is the <laughs> I, I think I have, though. <laughs> this, this almost went into a who's on first scenario. <laughs> <laughs> okay, The Thing, directed by John Carpenter. John Carpenter, who brought us Halloween, They Live, Escape from New York, you know. John Carpenter. This was an interesting uh, movie. It's uh, it's about a group of American researchers in Ar- in, uh, in Antarctica, Antarctica, 
who encounter a thing, quote unquote, right? Mm. A parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates, then imitates other organisms. And then because you don't know who's who, the group goes into this paranoia, you know, where they have to learn that they can't trust each other and that any of them could be the thing. Is there a shoot him, I'm the real one scene? Yes. Uh, Starts Kurt Russell. Starts Kurt Russell. Perfect. It has a fantastic ending. It has a fantastic ending where in order to stop the thing, they end up blowing up their base and two of them survive. And um, and at the end, the two guys kind of meet and they distrust each other. But then they realize, oh, we are going to die here because we no longer... <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. So- <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic moment where they both like, oh, why are we fighting? Neither one of us is going to live this. And they share a bottle of whiskey and that's where the movie ends. Where you're just like, all right, yeah. Fantastic movie. Uh if you think about the movie we talked about earlier, that was um, Blade Runner, right? Not not accepted because it wasn't a thing. This one's even more so not accepted because it wasn't a thing. Um, I mean, what a thing it was the thing. The thing, yeah. Fifteen million dollar budget did not meet fifteen million in the box office. Yeah, but since Ouch. but since because it's John Carpenter, it's become you know a cult classic. So. It's a fun movie, though. They did a, in 2010, I think, they did a prequel to it, which I thought was interesting. And when I say I thought it was interesting, I don't think it was interesting. <laughs> it was another thing. I'll yeah. tell you what. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kurt Russell, and I, I did watch Big Trouble in Little China. And I remember that movie being a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I think standards are just lower. I don't know. I, I feel like. Uh, and and throughout the movie, you're like, everybody's so over the top. And I'm like, oh, that's what they are. They're just over the top. And Kurt Russell plays a, a truck driver. And, I'm, and as a former truck driver, I'm like, I wouldn't have done that with a truck. You can't do that. So I was consistently like comparing. And I was like, oh, I need to stop. He didn't hit trailer brake first. You Honestly, tra- I, I needed to stop. But it was, a, it, it was fun to watch it again. And then you can see where like. Mortal Kombat got like a few of its characters, you know, like so. There's that, and <laughs> furiously taking notes, basically. But yeah, no. So I rewatched it, and I was like, eh, I remember this being better. But you know, no complaints. It was fun. That's funny. All right, moving on to first appearances. We have Michelle Pfeiffer making her first appearance in a leading role in Grease Two. Did you know there was a Grease Two, Gabe? You know, I only knew. When we were researching <laughs> for this for this uh, year, <laughs> and I was like, I made a conscious choice not to include Grease Two because I was like, "There's no way this is good." No, it is not good. It I was like, bad. "There's a zero percent chance this is a good movie." Look, Part One had had Olivia Newton-John classic. and John Travolta. Part Two did not have them, <laughs> but it did had Michelle Pfeiffer replacing Olivia Newton-John. Uh, but yes, the sequel to the uh, top-grossing film, <laughs> Grease. Uh, Nicholas Cage, speaking of Fast Times in Richmond High, he makes his uh, film debut. Okay. Um, Gina Davis in the movie Tootsie, starring um, Dustin Hoffman. 
a movie about a man dressing up as a woman because that was a thing to do in the 80s. Gina Davis, fantastic actress. Uh, and then in a movie called Remembrance, we have uh, Gary Oldman. There's 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 a good one. There's a fantastic one. So yeah, 1982. So Gabe, something old, something new? What have you got going on this week? You know, I... Uh... I don't think I added anything to my repertoire this week. I've continued. I still haven't finished that book I was listening to. Okay. But I, I, I surprisingly, for all the time I had at home, did not. I mean, I, I worked. I guess I was working and playing catch up on a short week. So that was a little bit of a, I was a little bit busy and sleeping a lot. Like I said, we're recovering. So just a lot of sleep. I, um, I took this weekend, um, to go and I went. So I kept, I used to have like honestly over a hundred DVDs to two hundred DVDs back in the day, and before moving out here, I I made a conscious decision that I was only going to take ten to fifteen DVDs with me, and they had to mean something. These were emotional DVDs that I brought with me, like no other value to them. But because again, everything's digital now, right? You can find any movie anywhere. Yeah. So in picking these DVDs that I was going to bring with me, I was like, no, no. These have to have an emotional attachment to me or else they're not coming with me. So this weekend, I decided to go through them, turn on my PS4 after six months or eight months, however long it was, and actually watch three physical DVDs in my PS4 on my TV. All right. I watched Yojimbo because, you know, it's a fantastic movie. In honor of my brother, uh, his favorite movie and my favorite movie with him, Norbit. Watch that again, because <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I rewatched the Warriors, and uh, and and then uh, on on Netflix, I ended up watching Big Trouble in Little China just because I was in the mood for old films. I gotta tell you, the Warrior still holds up. I've seen this movie over a dozen times. It's still a fantastic film. There's um, there's a scene in the movie that always gets me, and you've seen it or you haven't, the Warriors. I don't know if I've seen it in its entirety, but I've absolutely seen parts of it. Okay. There's a scene in the movie, right? So for those of you who haven't seen The Warriors, it's uh, 1979, and it's about uh, gangs in New York. And one of the biggest gangs in New York, the leader, decides he wants to have all the gangs meet. They send 10 delegates uh, to the Bronx. He wants all the gangs to unite and take over the city. They're basically saying, look, there's 60,000 of us. There's 20,000 cops. We can own the city. And then there's... Math, math checks out. It does. As he says, can you dig it, suckers? Can you dig it? The, among all gangs, obviously, there's always that one, uh, you know, there's that one wild card. Shoots the guy Cyrus. And they blame this one small gang out of Coney Island called the the Warriors. So then they put a hit, all the gangs put a hit out on the on the Warriors. And the Warriors have to make it back from the Bronx to Coney Island, which is 50 to 100 miles home on the metro, subway, train, running, everything. So the movie's The Adventure of the Warriors. Nine of, nine of them trying to make it back home and only like, you know, five of them making it home. And along the way, they pick up a, a, a female hitchhiker slash other gang member who, who like, it just becomes part of the story. But there's a scene. So 
in the movie you kind of get the impression that she is um she is maybe a lady of the night a professional worker maybe somebody who gets around you know gets uh gets uh shared by the gangs you know you get that impression of her but she she pulls her weight you know and and uh, the the main guy from the warriors gets a liking to her and and you know that she's going to go back with them and towards the end they're they're finally heading to Coney Island on the last train they're beat up they're tired they're dirty and they're sitting in the train and um train stops and these two couples come in and they 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 look like they're fresh out of a prom and they're having a good time and they sit down they're laughing and then they realize oh shit we're sitting in front of a gang of five guys who look like they've just been through hell and the girls there you know and they're dolled up you know like the ruffles on the shirt just three piece suit just and the girl uh with the warriors there's a moment where she like you know she looks at them and she she brings her hand up to kind of like move the hair out of her face because she knows she looks like a dirty mess and the camera does a pan of her from her feet to her and it's she's got bruised you know bruised arms bruised knees like dirty ass toes like just a mess and she tries to fix her hair and the main guy from the warriors grabs her hand and puts it back down and she closes her eyes and she tilts her head up and on the next stop the two couples get out and she opens her eyes and they're gone i don't know why that scene though it like gets me because it's like it's either her accepting her fate like this is this is what i am you know like this is my life is not like theirs And I want, you know, I want to just close my eyes and be somewhere else and not see these people and the fact that she gets to open her eyes and they're gone, you know. But then at the same time, the 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 main guy from the Warriors who puts her hand down and is almost telling her, no, don't, don't apologize for who you are. This is who you are, you know, like don't, don't try to change for them, for them to feel better, to, for them to feel comfortable This is who we yeah. are. This is the hand we were dealt. I don't know why that scene, dude, like just... Well, it's just a lot of storytelling in a very simple action. You know? Oh, my God. I love that scene. And I was watching and I was like, why does this... Like, that movie has phenomenal fight scenes. The Baseball Furies are some of the coolest looking gang. That fight at the end in the, in the bathroom, so fucking awesome. That scene, though, it's just... I'm like, it, like you said, I think it's... It makes the for me. It makes the entire film worth it. That scene because it says so much, especially because you know their backstories, um, and what's going to happen afterwards, and what's happened leading to that point. But I anyway. think it's very humanizing too. You know. Oh yeah. Which is important way to connect for your audience. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I watched that again. It was phenomenal. It was fantastic. It was great to go through my DVDs and like bust out the PS4 and like charge my. I had to charge my my controller, Gabe, because I haven't used it in so long. I don't even have an active machine in my house that can play a DVD. <laughs> and I have more than I have more than ten. That's impressive. The fact that you, because I know you have a gaming system that can play Cyberpunk, which yeah, should... it has no optical drive. Wow. It doesn't wow. even have a spot on the front where you could have one because the front's all fans. So there's no spot where you would put a, an optical drive and access it. So if somebody came to you with a DVD, you'd be like, uh, no Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have, a, I, have a, I have a 
my old computer tower has a drive and it, it's a functional it's a functional computer i could plug it in flick it on boot up and watch a dvd on that i'd have to hook it up though like, but nothing that's actually hooked up and running so, can run one so somebody could show up with a thumb drive and you could help them but if they showed up with a burned dvd You'd be like, oh, guys, this what might take... this ancient technology? This might take... I mean, I can break any code, but this is... Uh, <laughs> this is going to require <laughs> some work. This requires... This requires the historical devices. Um, well, let's end it with a couple things. I, I, I saw one trailer that surprised me this weekend, which was the Guardians 3 trailer. Oh, I saw that that came out. I did not watch the trailer. Okay, so maybe that's a, that's for us to do now for a live reaction from Gabe. Well, yeah, oh, dude. the new Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Have you seen it? about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? Okay, that's not real. <laughs> it is real. There's I actually a, have is, seen the trailer for there that. There is no way there is a Winnie the Pooh movie called Blood and Honey. So, there is because their copyright fell off recently because of time, I think. So somebody decided they're gonna make it. It's like a fucking like Five Nights at Freddy's looking co- like, shut the like fuck costume up. thing. It's a fucking horror movie with Winnie the Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. There is a trailer for it, and I have seen it. Okay, before we get to that trailer, there's two trailers I want you to watch, Gabe. I want you to give me real life reactions. First trailer I want you to look up is Guardians of the Galaxy three, and give us a live action. Reaction. All right. Yes. I, uh, okay. So my key takeaways are first of all, there's a little, there's a little otter person to go with our little raccoon person. And that's, that's the most thrilling thing about it because we get another, <laughs> another little animal person. <laughs> I will say, well, for me, it was the Adam Warlock appearance. Um, yeah. But I will say, this feels like a Rocket Raccoon movie, and I don't like the way that's going. I like, uh, I feel, so the overall, it looks like it's got the same quirk to it. The same quirk, bright oh, yeah, visuals, yeah. colors, everything yeah. looks great, sounds great. Um, Drax is being Drax, which is fantastic. That's yes. what you want. Kill, kill one person, <laughs> one stupid person who nobody likes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it looks like, uh, it looks like, uh, you got some rocket origin in there. It does. It does. But I, I, I know what these movies do and I know what that means. Yeah. I don't also, like Also, is it me or is Groot looking more like Vin Diesel? So they taught, I, I had to look that up because in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, he comes out and he lo- he's looking a little, and basically that's what they're saying. They're all like, look, this is Groot's son, technically. And you know his body's changing, and you know he's uh, he's a uh, you know yes he's definitely becoming Vin Diesel. <laughs> They're finally getting Vin Diesel to get into a suit. <laughs> They're like, this is why they cast him, bro. We've been They're gonna you, pull it around. We've been paying you millions of dollars. We gotta t- <laughs> we gotta get you to do more than just the voice guy. Come on. <laughs> Can we at least get you in a mocap suit or something? <laughs> Please work for your paycheck. Okay. The next one I want you to watch, Indiana Jones 5? 6? <laughs> it, it is 5, I think. Isn't it? it yeah, is, 5. It is 5, yeah. 
What a weird number to end on. We don't know if it's over. I mean, Harrison Ford is pretty open about that being the case, I want to say. Yeah. But yeah, this the, is. The man uh, is not about characters lasting forever. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Whatever. Well, name. Whatever the hell that means. Here we go, official trailer. Some good homages in there to previous. Yeah, it looks fun. Looks like a... they uh they put him on the other side of the gun thing. You know, he pulls out the melee weapon and and there's guns. He sees he sees the error of his ways. Yep. They have a, a boulder, a boulder thing, so they're they're paying homage. I like that. Yeah, it looks it looks fun. It looks cool. Nazis are getting punched, always a good thing. <laughs> Turns <laughs> I'm out in favor of this. It is you say that, get that on record. <laughs> Wait, Gabe, are you saying that pop culture hang fire is against Nazis? Yeah, anti-fascist. All right. Hey, you heard it here, everybody. We're taking a stand. Well, uh, it's good to see uh, Salah back, too. Right? Yeah. Some right. good reprisals of roles. The... Nazis get punched a lot, too. I mean, I, I think I would have said before the last one, I would have said that's all I needed. But they did a lot of that in the Crystal Skull, and it still wasn't. It didn't so feel right. this looks like it might have the heart, though, to go with it. I'm hopeful. Okay. The last trailer I want you to watch, Gabe. <laughs> A threefer. Threefer. Cocaine bear. <laughs> All right. Hang it's, on. It's trailer. exactly as good as you think it's going to be. So uh, it's as advertised. <laughs> that looks good to me. So I like that it says based on a inspired by true events or whatever. I literally just read a story yesterday about a tiger. This guy, like, I don't know if he was hunting the tiger or hunting the boar or something, but like he like injured the tiger. He like shot it or whatever and then took its kill that it had mm. and went on, you know, went back home and did whatever. So the thing tracked him home. The tiger followed him and like t- 12 hours later. So it went into his, it broke into his house, tore the place up, particularly anything that was like strongly scented like him, like his bed, it just tore it to pieces. And then it like went to where he worked at the factory and, and like followed there. Then it went back to his house and waited for him. And when he came home, it, it killed him. Holy cow. Could make a movie about that. I was a vindictive ass tiger. That that is a mo- look. If they made Cocaine Bear, they could do vindic- <laughs> vindictive tiger. <laughs> then they just got to do a lion one, and then we've got lions, tigers, and bears in my. And I think this is the one time they can use the slogan. This time it's personal. <laughs> Vengeance tiger. This time it's personal. Oh uh, yeah, I saw that, personal. and I was like, I want to watch it. this. I actually want to watch this. This movie looks. Like something I would watch. <laughs> I want to like see it and then more more accurately find out what happened behind it. It's it's. You know? I remember hearing something about it. So when I saw somebody, I was like, okay, this this is somebody being entirely too clever. Um. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Remember, find us at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram. 
and uh, we'll see you next week.